Good morning, everyone. Let's stand up and let's worship.
God, we thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. You're so good to us. We thank you for the fresh wind that's blowing in this place today. There's a part in this song that says, um, let, let all the redeemed prophesy and sing. Let all the redeemed, that's you and me. That's all of us. Prophesy and sing. Prophecy is doing what Jesus taught us in the Bible, to call out on, 
on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray. Sometimes we don't see things on earth yet, but it is in heaven. So our job is to call it out onto earth. And his desire is for us to partner with him and call it out, what he's calling out. And his desire is to pour out his spirit on all people. It says so in the Bible, that is his heart, is to pour out his spirit on all people. So let's declare this together. Let's prophesy this together. God, we ask that you pour out your spirit afresh. Would you fall afresh on your church, on your people? That's the cry of our hearts. There's power in unity and we are united as one, the church, the body of Christ, aligning our hearts with your heart and saying, have your way. You want to pour your spirit out. We welcome you to. Spirits out, rushing with fire of God, fall within. Holy Ghost, breathe on us, we pray. As we repent and turn from sin, revival embers smoldering. Breath of God, fan us into
Lord Jesus, that's our heart, that's our cry, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. We know that you already dwell within us. We know that you weren't here before we got here. We, you came with us, we, and as we gather, there's more. And so, Lord, our heart is that you would pour out your spirit in new and fresh ways, fresh anointings, fresh empowerments, fresh giftings, fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh oil, fresh water. And so, Lord, we receive that which you give. We are before you as sons and daughters and friends and family. And those online joining us, we're all together, Lord, before you to say you're amazing. You're good. We love you. We honor you. And it is our privilege to be here today. Not just our right, not an entitlement, but it is our privilege to be here today before you together as the body of Christ the bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. We love you. We honor you in the name of Jesus the Son. Everyone said amen and amen. You can be seated. Wonderful to see everybody. Uh, you know, we're kind of in, a, in what some would call the Easter coma or the Easter hangover, you know, the week after, as though Easter is like the Super Bowl for churches. But here's what I love about the bridge is every weekend is Easter weekend for us. Amen? Every weekend's a Super Bowl. Every day, every Tuesday at 1015 is a Super Bowl for those of us who are in Christ and understand who we are. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Amen? And so being that, it's such a joy to come together and gather. I get super excited. So that song we started with, I Thank God. It's one of those songs that gets in your head and never goes away. Trust me, after a couple of weeks, you're going to be saying the same thing. And I came in this morning. I was just going to, driving in, I was just going to listen to it one time. And then it got to the end, and I hit repeat. And then it got to, and about, I listened to it four times on the way coming in because it is such a song of gratitude and such a song of joy. And do you believe that we have a lot to be joyful about? Right? Now, we know in this world we have tribulation, Right? But take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world, right? And if we're in Christ, seated in him, in heavenly places, guess what? We overcome the world too, amen? So there's much to be joyful about, much to be excited about. In spite of the circumstances you find yourself in, there's much to be happy about. My name is Jimmy Pruitt. I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge. Welcome to The Bridge. Those of you watching online, thanks for being with us today. And you're in. I mean, we, we just completely include you. If you're on Facebook, let us know where you're list, or watching from. I love going back through those. It also reminds me to pray for you by name. And so we get our eyes on that. So it lets us know who's here and who's with us. And so thank you for joining us today. Do prepare for communion. We're going to do that in just a little bit. So whatever elements you can find there, put that together, and uh, we'll celebrate that together. If you have any prayer requests or prayer needs, you'll see on the screen info at... Uh, bridgefbg.com. That's our general email. You can send that in to us. We'll get that out to our prayer team, and we will pray for you. By name, we'll lift you up and cover you. And for those of you in-house, if you have prayer needs, we want to pray with you. We want to hold your arms up because we know the struggle's real, right? This is life we live in in this earth, and so we want to encourage you in that. So if you'll stop by the Connect Center on the way out, 
There are cards there. You can fill that card out, and we will uh, pray with you and stand with you and hold your arms up. So again, thank you for being here. also want to welcome our first-time guests. I think I forgot to do that in the first service, so I feel really bad about that right now, but that didn't feel welcome, maybe. So anyway, I feel bad about that. But anyway, if you're first-time guests here today, thanks for being here. We've got a little gift for you that we just want to encourage you with. Wendy's got that. It's full of all kinds of goodies that are practical and helpful, hopefully, especially the chapstick. I'm not going to lie. This has become my uber-favorite chapstick ever, so... Yeah, so get you one of those. It's got chapstick in it, and you'll be blessed. And there's other things, too, lots of good stuff. So the way you do that is you stop by the Connect Center on the way out, fill out a Connect card there, give that to the sweet person working there, and they'll give you a bag. We just, it's our little way of saying thanks for spending your morning with us. And, uh, and then also, uh, we want to pray. We want to spend some time praying. I want to do one other thing before we do that. Can we welcome our first-time guest with a hand clap? <laughs> Amen. So I'm going really fast because I drank a spark right before we started, and then also because it's like loaded with caffeine, but also I want to get to the message. I'm super, so excited about what we're going to do today. If you have your VIP card, I want you to pull that out, and we're going to take a moment to pray and lift up folks. Now, you don't have to have a VIP card to pray for very important people in your life, but it's helpful. It's just a tool, and you can pick those up at the Connect Center as well. So for those of you who do have your VIP card, go ahead and pick that out. Take it out right now. We're praying. Uh, we're just writing in the names of people that need to reconnect. Life happens, right? We get away. You know, little things like pandemics and stuff happen. And, you know, it creates separation sometimes. And we're just trying to regather and get back together. You may have some people on your heart that you feel like, man, they benefit from being a part of this family and a part of this community. So uh, you can put those in there. And then we're also praying on the other side. We're writing in the names of people who need to come to know Jesus with a saving faith. They need to come to know him as Lord and Savior of their life. And so I'm sure there's people God's put on your heart. See, God loves them enough to put them on your heart so that you can pray for them. That's how much God loves them. Very important people. So we're going to pray for them. And then we're also going to pray for our Church of the Week. This is our privilege to be the biggest fan, the greatest cheerleader for all the churches in our community. This is one of my most joyful moments when we get to, to cheerlead, hold their arms up, give them the attaboy, you got this, better yet, God's got you. I mean, this is what we get to do to, because our desire is to see harvest come. And here's the bottom line. Harvest isn't going to happen in one church and not another. When God brings revival and spiritual awakening and harvest, the water level rises in the region. And so we're praying for all of our churches, amen, holding them up to help them fight the good fight of faith. Pastor Jamie and Sherry Day at Faith Baptist Church, wonderful community brother, and we just want to hold them up as we do. And then we also want to pray for our nation as well and call the, our leaders before the throne of grace. So let's pray together. Father, it is our privilege to pray for these very important people, these that are on the card, both those who need to come to Christ in a saving way, step over the line, go all in, and those who just need to come back home, and they've been out, and they've been separated, and many of them have been just isolated by events and life, and sometimes by the enemy, and so Lord, we call them home, and Father, we also pray for Pastor Jamie and Sherry Day from Faith Baptist, we hold up their arms, oh God, set him on fire this morning as he preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we know Baptists do that great. So we lift up Pastor Jamie, just pour fire into him with, with a gospel of the kingdom. 
the gospel of heaven, the gospel of, of Jesus. So we hold him up and bless and encourage them, Lord. Release revival and increase upon them. Lord, we also pray for our nation. We need help. And your word says that we're to, we're to pray for kings, pray for those in authority. And so we lift up our civil government, Lord. Father, we know that there's a spiritual component to what's going on here. We're not ignorant of that. We also know there's a very real enemy at work. And so we lift up our, the leaders of our nation, um, all of the leaders of our nation, both in local, state, and federal levels, God. We ask, we ask for an outpouring of your spirit that we may once again be one nation under God, indivisible, where we see freedom and justice and righteousness for all, Lord. So we hold up our nation. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen. Thank you for praying with me on that. Just by way of announcement, just a couple of housekeeping things. Very exciting. We have summer youth camp coming up. I want to say thank you. Many of you have already given toward that and sown specifically into that. Thank you so much. Some stopped by. I had the pleasure of visiting with some folks this week who stopped by. Uh, to give a, a, just a, a scholarship. So when I was the uh, waterfront director at the Heart of Texas Baptist Encampment back in the day, that was my job. My summer job was at a youth camp down on Lake Brownwood. And uh, I got to know a ton of students and kids and young people, and I loved every moment of it. But I also realized being on the inside that uh, camp, camp doesn't come cheap. Back then it was 70 to $90 for a week, and I thought that was like, it could have been a million dollars for a college student, right? And, uh, but now, I mean, it's 350 to $400 to get a student there. We are not going to let money be an issue for a student not getting to go to camp and have the potential for the whole trajectory of their life changed. And so we want to support them, encourage them. God puts it on your heart to give and support. Please do. Another way you can do that is you get something in return. We want to add some value to your life and some calories. So we're doing a takeout food thing where uh, you get, it's a to-go lunch where so next Sunday don't come with plans to go eat afterwards come to get your food here then you can go home or to out to the park or whatever and enjoy a lunch together and then support an amazing cause so we want to want to cover the next generation and take care of this so again that's April 18th fundraiser so just come ready to uh, pick up your food to go for your family and then give a donation toward that. And then also, I'm really excited about this as well. You've been asking for it. We're saying yes. So on Wednesday night, May 5th at 6.30, we're going to have a night of worship. Amen. I can't wait. Super excited. This is one of my favorite things that we get to do. And I say get to because it's a blessing to do this. And so we'll spend the whole evening uh, in, in the, the words of, uh, of Nigel, we go like one louder sometimes on that. So it's a lot of fun. Some of you will get that. It's a lot of fun. Some of you musicians go, I got that. Um, but it's such a blast to be together and celebrate Jesus. And that's a great night to invite friends. Our goal is never to take people from other churches. That is not our heart. But if people want to worship and maybe they're in a church that doesn't get to do that, this is an opportunity for them to come in a safe place have a blast, get to know some cool people that pray for them on an ongoing basis, and just be exposed to great worship. And so be sure, just invite your friends. Let's just pack this place out, and let's, as a city, as a community, celebrate Jesus. It's also the night, uh, I believe, before, uh, yeah, yeah, it's the night before um, our prayer. Uh, thank you, National Day of Prayer. Well, I totally lost that. National Day of Prayer, it's the caffeine. National Day of Prayer. And so we're going to make some space within that worship night to pray. 
and be and to participate through that. So anyway, come ready to do that. Let's have a great time. We also want to now um, celebrate and remember Jesus when he was with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed. He said, I want you to remember me. So we're going to do that. So if you do not have a cup or you forgot to pick one up on the way in, we've got our team back here. They're heading from the back this way. All you need to do is lift up your hand. We'll get you a communion cup. For those of you online, join us. Just grab whatever you got there and join us and participate. So they're coming your way. Keep your hands up high until they get to you. They'll see you eventually. So they're making their way. For those of you who already have your cup, uh, you're starting to get the drill now. Go ahead and open that top piece first, the clear piece, and then gingerly and lightly open the bottom. There we go. I continue to be fascinated by the different accounts throughout the Gospels and then also in one of the epistles where Paul talks about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, we call it Communion. But I love the gospel accounts because they, they bring out different facets of what happened that night. And actually, we're going to look at John, the book of John, later. And John's account of that Last Supper has a different spin and a different angle on it. We're going to look at that later. And it's going to be hopefully surprising and encouraging to you. But the thing that captures me the most, and it has become uh, not contentious, but there has been some varying thoughts on this, but... Was Judas present after he was exposed and revealed that he was the betrayer? That he was actually the catalyst for the end of Jesus' earthly life as the Son of Man. And some have thought, well, there's no way he could have participated after that. He had to leave. He had to be excused. But, but two of the Gospels and then John indicate that absolutely Judas was there. And does that not reveal the heart of Jesus? That here he is, knowing his betrayer is right there in front of him, and yet still, still blesses, still releases grace, still imparts mercy to his very enemy, knowing that this had to happen and this was a part of the plan. That's the heart of Jesus. And for any of you that are here, that maybe you've struggled with your own vision of who he is, let that inform your idea of who he is. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He doesn't, he's not checking on you. We'll talk more about that later, but I want you to know that now as we partake in communion. The heart of communion is to celebrate our union with Christ, that we have a relationship with him. And if you're new to the bridge and it's your first time, you are welcome to the table here. And I want you to, when I ask you to do something, as I would ask all of us to do, and that is to come with an examined heart. What does that mean? It means come with an open heart. Just come with an open heart. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just asking you to be something, and that is to be open to him. And so if this is your first time to receive communion, welcome. It's great. I'm glad you're here at the table. So when Jesus was with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed, he took a piece of bread, and you can see on the screen can see the bread, but it's actually unleavened bread. So the people at home can see on the screen. I see this it's looking right at me. Okay. So if there was a picture on the screen, it would be a picture of a cup, a common cup, and a picture of bread. 
And Jesus held up this bread. It was unleavened bread, which means there was no dough. It, it didn't actually rise, and it was more like a cracker. And he held it up before him. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body given for you, not broken, given for you. No one took Jesus. Jesus gave himself. He took up a cup, and he held it before them. And in that cup was wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the remission, the removal of many sins. The removal of sin. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, I am so weighed down with my stuff. I'm so weighed down with my sin and my brokenness and my mistakes. I got good news for you. He doesn't see them. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he, away from us, he has removed our sins, our iniquity. Rest in that today. Enjoy that truth today. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you, we honor you, and we remember, Jesus, what you did for us, what you did for us on the cross. Subsequently, what you did when you rose from the grave at the resurrection. And we live our lives out of the truth of the resurrection. Jesus, you said on the cross, to tell us that it is finished. And then the angel announced, he is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And so, Lord, we are grateful today. We remember. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can take the, the elements. you'll hang on to that. We've, we've moved our rows a little closer, so we're not able to pick up these. Now, my dad taught me hiking in Colorado. He said, um, pack it in, pack it out. So I want to invite you to take that with you when you leave. Drop it on the trash on the way out. Thank you so much. I want to dismiss our kids to um, our Bridge Kids class. And so if, uh, can we pray for them together and just cover them? Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up our young ones. Thank you for the next generation. Thank you for the callings on their life that are being discovered and mined out even in this context. So we pray for our teachers, our leaders, our helpers, that you would encourage them, you would anoint them to impart life today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. Can we give our kids a hand as they head out? Great. Are we back up? Are we back up? Do we have the blue screen of death? <laughs> we do. Russ is going, we have the blue screen of death. All right, so I uh, want to participate now. This is another chance where I get to say thank you, and this is where we talk in terms of giving. And I want to thank you for your, your amazing consistency and generosity in supporting all that God is up to. We have a lot of ministries that we are blessed to support, and it's a bunch of them, two screens worth of ministries starting in Africa and Mexico, all over this region, all over the world. We get to bless and support. So as you give today, I want to encourage you in that. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to worship together and sing together and celebrate together. And uh, when we do that, we're not going to pass the plate. We're going to invite you, if you came ready to give your offering, to go to any of the, the exits here, and you'll see the black box. If you will, you can give your offering there and just say, I want to say thank you again for what you're doing. So as we pray together, we're going to stand together. Why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet, and let's get ready to worship. Father, we love you and we honor you. Lord, thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you for the privilege 
of celebrating Jesus. Lord, we make a declaration today that it is truly well. It is well with our souls. And as we worship, our declaration is that you're good, Lord. Thank you for blessing us. And it's our privilege to give and to sow and to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Let's worship. Grand earth has quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard Through it all Be it for me to not believe Even when my eyes can't see And this mountain that's in front of me Will be thrown into Yeah. 
it is well with me. Father, that is our heart to declare in any given moment that it is well with my soul. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. And, Lord, now we ask, as we turn our attention to your word and to Jesus in the word, that, Lord, you would open our eyes that we may see. You would open our ears that we may hear. And you will open our hearts that we may know the truth that makes us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen and amen. You can be seated. So we're having some wonderful technical challenges, opportunities, a better word, and uh, it just happens sometimes with technology. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you. This will be fresh. Everybody take out your Bible or your phone or what you've memorized. Hola, hello, hello. It's bright. And the Lord said, let there be light. So here we go. So turn, out, turn in your Bibles to, uh, to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll kick off in verse 1, but also... Uh, while you're doing that, turn to the book of John, chapter 13. So keep your place there. Be ready to go there. We'll start in Matthew, chapter 5. We're talking about the heart of Jesus. The thing that you have to understand is that the Scripture, particularly the New Testament, the New Covenant, reveals the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of God, the heart of the Father. Now, here's the thing. Depending on how and where you were raised... Now, for me, in fact, I have a dear friend who actually was the head of counseling, the head of the counseling department at a, a little church in South Lake called Gateway, Pastor Robert Morse. And so Bob was the head of that. And I just read recently, Bob made a comment. We've stayed in touch. But he made a comment that he was actually glad that he was not raised in church. And here he has been walking with Jesus for many years. But he made this comment, I'm glad that I wasn't raised in church because I didn't have to unlearn anything. But so I got to get Jesus fresh, clear, and clean. I got to start with a blank canvas. Now listen, let me say something. It, it, it may sound like an indictment, but it's really not. Let's just be real and be honest. For those who were raised in church, and again, depending on the environment that you were raised in, if you had a church that was Old Covenant heavy, it would have been big on do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts, heavily, like, you know, 80-20, on don'ts, and, and it would have been hard on, it would have been all about your, how you look on the outside, your behavior, what you wear, how you adorn yourself, your hair length. It could be, uh, don't be seen, I mean, there was a time in the evangelical church where you couldn't go to movies and deacons, elders, church members would drive by the movie house on Friday and Saturday night to see whose church, whose cars were in the parking lot at the movie house watching those sinful movies. 
I mean, this is what a lot of people have been raised and steeped in. No wonder we're, we have sour faces on Sunday morning. No wonder our kids don't want to go to church because it's, it's, just, it's heavy and dark and, and I'm just going to be condemned. Now, I have to tell you something. That is not how I feel about church. Not at all. In fact, people who are, are like that will have a difficult time in this atmosphere, I'm just going to say. It'll be hard on them. I've been told that I'm too joyful. I'm like, check the second fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I've been told that I'm too flippant with communion. Let me tell you something. Nothing means more to me on this planet than remembering Jesus. But I want to remember him biblically not culturally. So I've been told a lot of things about myself, <laughs> mostly untrue, or at least it were perceptions. So you have to understand how I was raised. I was raised not in church, but had good parents. So thankful for my parents. But I did not attend church. And you know what? Like Bob, I'm kind of happy about that. I'm kind of glad. See, I learned all the do's and don'ts at 19, 20, 21 after I became a Christian. I learned how bad I was and how wicked my heart was after I became a Christian. I thought things were okay. In fact, when I came to know Jesus, I was so excited about how amazing and good the good news was that I would sit in church and wonder, why is everybody so upset? Why is everybody frowning? Why is everybody depressed? I thought, man, if this is the good news, shouldn't it be good news to us? Not just coming from a preacher in a pulpit who's mad and banging the, banging the dog out of that thing, but I mean, shouldn't it be something that we celebrate? Shouldn't worship sound more like a celebration or a Jason Aldean concert than it does a funeral dirge? Listen, I'm shooting some extremes out here. But we need to be honest about what we have portrayed to the world. We have basically told them, come get saved and be miserable the rest of your life until you go to heaven. And then it's going to be amazing. What about in between? What about from the moment, me at 18, 19 years of age, stepping over the line and saying, this is absolutely amazing. The reason I want to tell people about Jesus is because I believe it's good news, and I can't keep good news to myself. I just can't. When it's good, i got to tell somebody. Could it be that one of the reasons we don't share our faith is because we don't really think it's that good? It's really not the center point of our lives. Jesus becomes an addendum. And we're more like fans than we are followers. So my passion, my objective, I'm going to give it away, just so all of you know my trade secret, is to get you excited about the greatest news ever. So that Jesus moves from one of the outer circles of your life to the center. And listen, it's not going to make you dull. It's not going to make you boring. You ever seen Sean Foyt do anything? There's nothing dull or boring about Sean. Wild and crazy, yes, but not dull and boring. Let me tell you, when you have Jesus as the center of your life, and when the good news is really good news to you, you're anything but boring. 
You're the person people want to be around because you're the happiest guy in the room. You're the happiest girl in the room. Jesus, it's good news, family. It's good news. So Jesus shows up and kind of flips the world upside down because by then they had had centuries of religious rule. The Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, who was the religious governing body of Jerusalem, they had had years, decades, and they had added rules and laws and more rules and laws and sound like a lot of the churches we grew up in. And they're all, they're all there, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and he shakes everything up. And while the world thinks that we're right side up and the kingdom's upside down, it's actually backwards. The kingdom is right side up. Jesus comes in and says, this is how it's supposed to be, but this is how it currently is. Now, Jesus' role is to begin to turn this thing, and he's using you and me to do it. Unless we're really upset about being Christians. Unless we're really bummed out about this thing. And then we're not exactly a great witness for this whole thing. So here's what happens. Jesus comes on the scene, and he shows up on this place that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's really a lake. It's a huge inland lake. And it's in the northern kingdom of Israel. So if you see Israel on a map, it's up north. By the way, up north is actually gorgeous. It's beautiful up there around the lake. It's a fertile belt up there. And so everything's green. The lake is blue and beautiful. And I don't know about you, but from the movies I saw and caught glimpses of growing up here and there, it was always anything I saw about Israel and Jesus was dirty and dark and dingy and dusty and desert, kind of like the Mojave Desert. I lived in Victorville, California at one point. That is the armpit of the planet, I'm just telling you. That is a desert. It's in the edge of the Mojave Desert. It's called the High Desert. It's about 4,000 feet, cold at night, 120 during the day. I mean, it's brutal. And desert life is brutal. And that's how I saw Israel until I got to go there in the early 2000s. And I'm standing on the Mount of the Beatitudes, looking out over this stunning lake, blue trees everywhere, resorts everywhere. This place is absolutely gorgeous. No wonder Jesus had an intrinsic love of life and beauty. It's because he grew up there. He saw the beauty. He saw God's glory, God's grace in nature and in the created order of the world. He saw it. That's why he pointed out the birds of the, the, birds of the air and how they don't, they don't suffer, they don't toil, they they just enjoy what God's, they are who, I mean, all of these things came out of Jesus' worldview as the son of man, as a person. He wasn't a desert dweller. He dwelled in the most beautiful part of Israel. Mountains, hills, water, the Jordan River, which back then was a massive river, unlike today, which is kind of a slow trickle. So when Jesus got up on the mount and all these people had begun to hear about his teaching, first of all, his disciples came to him first, and then all these other people were around. And they're on the side of this hill overlooking this incredible view, stunning, and Jesus begins to speak, and we pick it up here. Let me just give you the idea. Now, you've heard the word beatitudes, but very few know what it actually means. An easy way to say it is the be-attitudes, okay? Break it up a little bit. It's the attitude of how we should be. So listen to the definition. The word beatitude comes from a Latin beatitudo, meaning blessedness. That sounds very religious. 
The phrase blessed are in each beatitude implies, here's my favorite part, a current state of happiness or well-being, not a someday state, not a future state, not when we get over on the other side of Jordan and we die and we cross over and we, you know, we're in glory land. All those images are beautiful and wonderful, but what about now where we live? If the gospel isn't practical, it's going to be a miserable experience until we die and go to heaven. No wonder people want to go home early. It implies a current state. It's a now state. Somebody say now. now. Say it again out loud. Now. now. It's a now state. It's a current state. of Happiness or well-being. This expression held a powerful meaning of divine joy. Just checking. Of divine joy and complete happiness. Divine joy and complete happiness. Divine joy is a lot more than worldly joy. I'm just saying. It is It is laced with grace, laced with the presence of God, laced with the goodness of God. That's divine joy. You're not just in a good mood. Man, you're in the best mood possible. Again, because you understand you're blessed because of the good news. And it meant that to people, divine joy and complete happiness to those people. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, phone, Bible, or you've got it memorized, right? Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. That's what I was describing to you. So think of this incredibly gorgeous view because it is absolutely stunning. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've already covered this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, this is where we're going to camp out today. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, that is not like the title of a book that you're going to run out and buy, okay? But listen to this. Meekness is one of the most underrated virtues in the culture today, in the world today. Because here's the problem. We see meek as weak. That is a misunderstanding. And I am so thankful to my Greek professor, Dr. Frankie Rainey, Howard Payne University. Never mind the year. It was a long time ago. But I'm so thankful that he unpacked this from the Greek language for us, Koine Greek. And it literally means this. It means strength under control. Strength or power under control. Another word, and you'll see this if you were to look this up in any kind of Bible concordance or dictionary or Strong's concordance, any of that, you'll see humility. To be meek is to be humble, but here's the thing. It's also to be powerful. But to also understand that the ninth fruit of the Spirit, anyone know what that is? It's the biggie. Self-control. Who said that? Very good. Way to go. Yay, you. Self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And then he tags the end of it with self-control. Understanding this, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. Are you hearing me, family? In other words, it's not something you just work up. You don't work up love. You don't work up joy. Boy, how's that working for you, right? In fact, I've got Bill Loveless who taught me that, the golden question we call it. Hi, Bill. Hi, Paige. How are y'all? Good to see you guys. How's that working for you? 
You don't work it up. It's nothing that your flesh can produce. Or if it does, it's a very short, it has a short shelf life. Kind of like the NFL. You know what NFL stands for? Not for long, right? These guys have a short shelf life. Listen, sometimes our worldly ways of working things up, you can get it for a moment, but it's just a short, it's just NFL. It's not for long. Why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's proof, product of the presence of the Spirit when you can love, when you can express true joy, when you have peace that passes all understanding, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And then jump to number nine, self-control. Another way to say that is the ability, the empowerment to govern oneself. The empowerment to govern oneself. Let me tell you by experience, because I too put my pants on just like you do. I too get hungry. I too fall off my diet. I too, I do just like you. We're the same. We're in this together. But here's what I know. When the Spirit's in charge, and when I'm submitted to the Spirit, I have the ability, the empowerment, the enablement to do what I cannot do in and of myself. Why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so here we are, meek, powerful, strong, but it's under control. Under control. Now, go with me to John chapter 13. I've been tagging an example of these attributes, the Beatitudes, uh, to another story where Jesus is our example. And here we have an amazing moment. Now, the reason I get excited about this because the nerd in me who loves to study all this I, I love looking at the various approaches to communion and the different ways that the, that the Gospels approach it. And then Paul later in Corinthians talks about it as well from hindsight. But the Gospel writers report this, and it's interesting that John takes a different take on it. It's like if you saw, let's say there's an accident in the middle of an intersection. The people that are standing on the same corner are going to have a similar vantage point to that accident. And if you're to interview them, you're going to get a really similar story. But there may be somebody who was on the other side, and they have a completely different perspective because they're seeing it from a different angle or a different vantage point. John has a different vantage point than Matthew. Matthew, literal, concrete, almost chronological. He's just like, just the facts, Jack. In fact, Matthew was such a nerd, he threw in the genealogy. Hello. That tells you something right there. Luke a physician, a doctor, a linear thinker. Concrete, not abstract. He's going to just tell you just the facts, Jack. Mark is the sports center version highlight reel. Mark is shorter for a reason. He's just hitting the highlights. He's, he's keeping it at 20,000 feet. But then you got John. Remember what John called himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. What is John? John's a heart guy, not a head guy. And when you read these Gospels, when you understand the writers and the context and framework that they wrote in, it helps you understand where they're going with this and their vantage point. John comes at the Lord's Supper communion moment in a very different way. And he highlights something that the other Gospel writers don't. So let's look at it and see. Remember, heart guy, the love guy, all right? This is him. 
John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the reason this is important is that this is where the Last Supper happens. We're about to have the last dinner together before Jesus was betrayed, and this was the catalyst. This is what catalyzed his death. And so it's that moment... And so you would expect, as you read this first verse, that he's about to talk about Jesus, you know, his, his blood, his body. You know, he did this for us. We're to remember him. But that is not John's vantage point. John's a heart guy. He comes from a different angle. Look what happens. During supper, there's the last supper in John's words. He didn't cue in on what other writers did. He sees it from a different angle. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, verse 4, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, his jacket, his tunic, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into... Wait a minute... Where's the bread and the wine? And John went past that right to this moment. Remember, he's a heart guy. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Remember Peter? Go big or go home. Foot and mouth, hoof and mouth disease guy. Remember that? He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. Peter is already showing he doesn't get it. Verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Wow, stop the presses there. This is Peter saying, no way are you going to do this. Now, you have to understand, before we get all incensed at Peter to think how stupid he was, first of all, you have to understand the Jewish culture. The only people that washed feet were the absolute lowest man on the totem pole in the household of servants and or slaves. And they had to be non-Jewish. So you talk about bottom of the rung, I mean the last rung on the ladder. They were the low of the low, and they were just seen as nothing more than dogs. And it was that guy who had the job, and his sole job was to wash the feet of the people that the house owner hosted. So anytime, and hospitality was a huge thing in the first century, anytime they would welcome them in, it would be that servant that would meet them at the door and immediately... As soon as they came in the door, you know how you come in. Okay, if any of you wives have ever gotten new carpet, new flooring, or a new rug, so what do you? What is the first thing you ask everyone to do? Take off your shoes. Now, after a few weeks, and you get a spill or two on that, nobody cares anymore, right? Just kind of move on. But initially, right? We want to protect. So, so we know coming into a, a home in our culture, we kick off our shoes—a polite thing to do—and a little awkward sometimes. But you do it, you know, all right? So you do it, and then. But in that culture, you would actually sit down. They would remove your sandals because they walked everywhere in the dirt, everywhere. You can imagine how dirty they were. That was their mode of transportation was to walk in the dirt. 
And that servant would get down on their knees and they would carefully wash the feet of the guest. This is why this so incensed Peter. Because Jesus, who Peter was still inwardly hoping, would ride in on a white stallion with a legion of angels, warring angels, and wipe out the Roman government. Because that is what they had believed for centuries. That the Messiah would come back wielding a sword. Instead, he comes back wielding a shepherd's crook. (laughs) And not on a white stallion. He came back into the city on a donkey. What did I say about the kingdom being the right side up and the world's culture being upside down? It's exactly what we're seeing here. So much so that Peter was frustrated. He was incensed. No way are you washing my feet. Well, like I said, don't get too upset. He was only cueing in on what he knew and the narrative that he grew up in. So what, look what happens. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. In other words, he's saying, you don't get it. After three years of walking together, three years you saw me raise people from the dead. You saw lepers cleansed. You saw miracles. You saw me take the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Sanhedrin down with a phrase or a word. You saw me do all of that still you don't get it and if you don't let me do this you haven't got got it by now he says you have no share with me verse 9 so Simon Peter pivots big word right now he pivots said to him Lord not my feet only but also my hands and my head he's going man wash me because I want all I want to be all in I love Peter's heart love his passion Jesus said to him the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. He says this to Peter, and you are clean. And then he says this, but not every one of you. So we have two parts to this story. First of all, the Lord's Supper recorded in another gospel, actually a couple of gospels, and understanding that Judas didn't leave the table. He was still there. In fact, we know that because of verse 2. That says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that, that he was going to go back to God, he rose from supper, he didn't ever leave. He was still there. Judas already partook of communion with them, and now, and now, and now he's also there for a foot washing. This is what I want us to get about meekness. This is Jesus who knew that within a few days he would be sitting at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father is the place of authority and favor. In fact, he had already knew that place. He came from that place. Philippians tells us that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, the form of a man, coming to this earth, didn't see deity as something to be grasped or held onto, but humbled himself and came to this earth born as a baby, which we know the whole story. So Jesus was already familiar with where he was about to go. He wasn't going there for the first time. He was actually returning to his rightful place. Jesus, knowing that, gets down in the dirt, takes the lowest position possible, and not only washes stubborn Peter, (laughs) excitable Peter's feet, 
But here's where this impacts me, family. He washed Judas' feet. Just let that simmer for a moment. He washed his enemy's feet. He already knew. He already knew what Judas had to do. He already knew that the one that would betray him, who had walked with him for three years, whom they had all trusted with the money, they had trusted him. He was the treasurer of the group. They had trusted him. And now he's betraying. And it, it, what would we have done? You might as well go do what you needed to just go on. Get her done. It's kind of like when an employee resigns and they find a box on their de- desk in the next hour instead of getting a ride out there two weeks. I mean, it's just like, no, go. Just go. I don't even want to see you but not Jesus. This is why this is important that we talk about the heart of Jesus in compared and contrasted with what we saw in the Old Covenant. Jesus flips everything. Jesus is not like Santa Claus. He doesn't have a list. He's not checking it twice. He's not checking to see who's naughty or nice. If your image of God or Jesus, or the Trinity in any way is Santa Claus sitting on a throne checking a list. You need to, you need to reroute. Let, let this inform your narrative. Let this inform you. This, that is not Jesus. It is not the heart of Christ. The heart of Jesus is the one who is going to betray. He kneels and washes his feet. What does that say about us? tell you where I've been impacted through this. I don't like the word convicted because it's really the word convinced. Convicted is such a dark negative term. He's not convicting me. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict me. The Holy Spirit convinces me. And here's what I'm convinced about. Looking back this last year, I'm going to use this as, a, as, a, as an example and some of you are going to get real uncomfortable here. This last election, as I read posts and comments from people I know who claim to be followers of Jesus. Yeah, I'm going there. Some of you, I just moved out of preaching to meddling, didn't I? But this is real, family. This is where we live. If the gospel doesn't inform our real life where we live, then what are we doing this for? Are we just here out of habit? Are we just here because it's a thing to do and we feel a little better when we leave? Or are we here to be disciples of Jesus and learn what it means to truly wash the feet of our enemies? That is what we're called to do. Maybe somebody didn't tell you that before, but I'm telling you right now. The kingdom is different from the world. The world is upside down. The kingdom is right side up. And they don't look the same. And as I read comments, I remember, I've told you all about this. One day I stepped off in it. I was so mad, so upset about a news thing I read. And I stepped off into that hole, and I posted something out of emotion. And, oh, my gosh, I got crucified and crushed. But I did find out there were people reading my stuff that I never thought they were. I thought, (laughs) thought, that guy, I knew that guy in the sixth grade. I didn't even know we were friends on Facebook. I mean, it was crazy the people that came out of the woodwork to blast me. And you know what I did? I repented. 
Let me just say this. I didn't repent of what I thought or what I believed. I repented for what I said and the way I said it. Because it was wrong. And I'm convinced that if we'd spend as much time on our knees during a political election season, I'm convinced if Christians would truly pray for the kingdom to come and pray for those candidates on both sides of the aisle, that we'd see revival. We'd already be in revival. We'd, we'd be enjoying revival right now instead of division and anger and Christians lobbing grenades over the aisle at one another. And us judging another person's character by the way they voted. Oh my gosh, what's happened, family? So here's my ask for you this week. Is that this week, we would ask God, really, what does this mean for me to wash another's feet? What does that look like? It's not literally washing somebody. Don't go to work and ask your cube mate to take off their shoes, you know. And don't, don't go there. But what does it mean to serve them and to humble ourselves? And again, meekness, not weakness. That means power, authority, favor, but under control. Because the fruit of the Spirit's controlling all this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to invite our worship team. We're going to go out with worship. They're going to make their way up. Would you just bow your heads? Lord Jesus, I'm going to invite you to, to enter into this prayer with me. And the prayer is simple. It's Holy Spirit. What do you want me to do with what I'm learning? Can you ask the Lord right now? Just ask him. Just say, Lord, what do you want me to do with what I'm learning here right now? Take it a little further. Say, say Holy Spirit, how can I apply this principle of washing feet into where I live with my family, starting right now, into where I work with my workmates, my boss, supervisor, those that I lead or supervise, and where I play. I don't care where you play, family. But wherever you play, we should still be available to wash the feet of those who are around us, even our enemies. Lord Jesus, we invite you to mark us right now. That this would be a day where we pivot spiritually and where we begin to walk in a right-side-up culture, the culture of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, everyone said, let's all stand together. We're going to go out with worship. This one's pretty easy. I think most of you will know it.
walking in this place I worship you I worship you You are here You are here Moving in our midst I worship you I worship you
we love you, we honor you, we go out, Lord, receiving of you from you, but also our privilege to give towards you in worship and passion. So Lord, as we go out into this week where we live, work, and play, teach us what it means to wash the feet of others. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. We love you. <laughs>